Hello and welcome to the Story X Story podcast, where we discuss stories across pop culture, plus give you advice on creating your own. It's episode number 114, and we are going behind the story. I'm your co-host, Nigel. I am Tazzy, a content creator and co-host. And for our Behind the Story episodes, you know that we like to talk to creative professionals across industries to unpack their journey. And today, we're going to hear the story behind Mike Anderson, producer at Us Two Games and a founding member of Pock in Play. Welcome, Mike. Hello, thanks for having me. Cool, appreciate you being here. And uh, yeah, meeting you again, I guess we've met before, but good to have a nice discussion about what you do. I think I've got an idea of what you do, but... I'm going to I'm going to listen so. and figure out uh take it all in. So hopefully you uh, everyone listening going to take in this story as well. Just a reminder that you can subscribe to Story X Story on Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, and pretty much wherever you get your podcasts from. Uh you can always send us your feedback and questions to feedback at myamada.com or on social media. We are at myamada on Twitter, at myamada TV on Instagram and TikTok or at Tazzy on all the above. Uh, you can also join our Studio 77 Discord to be part of the Maya Matter universe and meet others in the community. And you can consider becoming a Studio 77 member to support the work that we do at Maya Matter and get exclusive access to the events coming up uh, and artwork that's also coming up uh, too. All right, before we get into peppering Mike with some questions, let's find out what's happening in the Maya Matter universe. <laughs> And we have a few months left in the year, which is a scary thought. Um, but in those few months, we're going to be working on some new manga. So uh, I've been talking a bit about the story that we have featuring Tazzy's character, which is still in the work. So that has not been forgotten. But uh, we've had to shift schedules, um, shift things around for the remaining few months of the year. And one of the things that's actually come up a new project, which is a story that we're working on with the financial education charity, MyBank, and they are going to be working on a new project in primary school. So we're working on a manga with them. So excited to be working with them again, because we've actually done a couple stories pre-pandemic. So it seems like such a long time ago, but uh, working on a story around energy efficiency and uh, safety uh, as well. So create new characters, new storylines. Uh, so we're going to be working on those. We've also got manga for our campaign, which I'm going to be talking about in a little bit, but we have our existing manga. So you can check out the universe that is My Matter and our latest manga, Serious Through the Fog, which is a story about a pandemic that I made during the pandemic and features Blake Serious in what I think is his toughest adventure uh, yeah, definitely the toughest one uh, to write um, because, yeah, making stuff during the pandemic. For some reason, I thought that would be a straightforward thing and I was proven wrong, but we got it out eventually uh, and it is available to read. Uh, so we've got a bunch of activities coming on our Twitch stream. For August, we have our games night. So at the end of each month, usually on the last Thursday, this time it's actually the last Wednesday, uh, Wednesday the 31st, we play a new game with our Studio 77 members. Uh, so this month, we're going to be playing Multiverses, which I have now played a little bit oh. of. Uh, yeah, I came prepared. So I've done the tutorial. So the game works. It runs. <laughs> I'm ready. <laughs> Who's your main? That's the real question. Are you maining LeBron James? You know what? I, I haven't yet. So my main was Batman, but I think I think I might play it again just to see what LeBron James is like. And I think you're going to see a lot of LeBron James 
in in the games night. Might be Batman and LeBron James. And so we'll see. Tune in to find out Wednesday, 31st of August from 7 p.m. BST. And you can check out the highlights from past games nights on the Mayamada YouTube as well, featuring games like Roblox, Fortnite, which was an interesting time, <laughs> Rocket League, uh, and more to come. Also on the Mayamada Twitch is the next Gamepad Online event. So we have got plans in place, um, or at least we're putting them together um, for the next Gamepad Online, which you will be able to see on the MyMeta Twitch on November the 19th. So save the date. We'll be announcing details of what will be involved in the event. It's going to be a little, little bit different. So make sure you check out September's Gamepad report video, and we'll be announcing everything there. So yes, yeah, stay tuned for those because we're excited to put this together. And then also coming in these remaining few months uh, of the year is the next event in the Do I Look Like a Gamer campaign. So this is a campaign that we launched earlier in the year promoting diversity and inclusion in the video games industry. So you can check out the campaign website at looklikeagamer.com. Uh, check out our social media as well, especially when we have the announcements of uh, these upcoming events and activities. Uh, and you can also see the photo campaign uh, that we started with and meet the 40 players and makers that are showcasing diversity in the industry. Uh, so we've done a bunch of events so far, some live stream events, some in-person uh, events. You can actually catch the live stream from the launch or the replay of the, live, the launch live stream uh, on the MyMatter YouTube and you can get involved with the campaign. So this is a, I mean, this is for everyone, but especially if you're an aspiring games professional, the idea is we want you to get involved and know that you you have a place in the video games industry as a player, as a maker. Um, so at the moment, before we uh, announce the details of the next event, uh, you can actually share the story of how you got into video games as part of the campaign. So we're calling on people to share uh, your own video message on Twitter, on Instagram, uh, on TikTok, and basically answer the question, what's the game that got you into video games? Uh, so you can tag MyMatter on social media, use the hashtag lookLikeAGamer, uh, and then we want to amplify those stories and then announce the next event, which will be suitable... Again, suitable for everyone, but this one's going to be focused on parents and educators as well as young people. And we want people to learn about the games industry as a career option, uh, what it means, what are the pathways, uh, and just really bust some myths that um, parents, that teachers, educators might have uh, so they can better help the young people uh, that they serve. Um, so the campaign is proudly sponsored by Rocksteady Studios and Splash Damage. Um, their sponsorship means that we've been able to do these events for free, um, put them on for people to come at no cost. And uh, yeah, we're glad we've been able to work with them and more uh, in the games industry as we put this together. So that is most of what's been happening in the Mayamada universe. Let's uh, draw a line under that and go behind the story with today's guest. We're joined by my Mike Anderson today, producer at Us Two Games and co-founder of Pock and Play. Mike works in the industry to help increase diversity for budding developers while currently producing Desta, The Memories Between. So we're going to go into some questions, but we have a first question that we're going to be asking everyone from now on, I guess. <laughs> what does creativity mean to you? 
well, that's a very that's a very big first question. Um, let me see. Let me see. We don't waste time. I mean, Just like I straight was, into it. Yeah, I, I can see that. Um, <laughs> creativity to me, I guess, is just like solving a problem in some sort of, I don't know, unexpected way, I guess, at its, at its core. Like, it doesn't, to me, creativity doesn't necessarily have to be like artistic and stuff. Like, sometimes I think programmers can be creative with how they solve problems. I think anything can be solved in a creative way. I think the main thing is just like, there's like, a, in, a, in a situation where there's like a kind of clear, defined way of, approaching something and you've just found a different way that no one else had considered and like you've solved it in that way i guess is that a good answer does that sound good are the listeners going to enjoy that yeah i think it's a good answer (laughs) (laughs) if that's what creativity means to you then that's what creativity means to you you know yeah i think everyone can do it because i feel like at least in the games industry especially on twitter you get a lot of games artists and they get like a bajillion retweets and i'm like where's all the producers we're creative too where's all the programmers they're doing creative stuff as well but like obviously maybe like i don't know writing an optimization bit of code isn't as exciting as like something visual i feel like people always can have an opinion on things that are visual or maybe Mm -hmm. even with like audio music everyone can have an opinion but then if someone's like written a really really good bit of code maybe you need to have a bit more like specialist knowledge to really appreciate that but there's creativity in there believe me Definitely. So let's get into your journey. So you're based in London. So whereabouts did you grow up? I grew up in a lovely little town in South London called Mitcham. No one ever knows where that is. I tell people I'm from Mitcham, they're like, where? And then I, I, know I then of have that. to. Okay. Is that like Southwest? Yeah. Yeah. It's South... So Mitcham is like, say Mitcham's in the middle, you've got like Streatham upwards. You've got like Croydon downwards, then to the southwestish, you've got Wimbledon, and then you've got like Tooting. So it's sort of like in the middle of other more well-known places. Yeah, can I tell you how I knew about Mitcham? Is uh, a while back I was asked to do a, a workshop, and they said it's in Mitcham in Mitcham Library, and I assumed that was out of, out of London, so I googled it. I'm like, oh, <laughs> I never look at that corner of London. There we go. <laughs> Yeah, it's in a London borough. Merton is a London borough, but yeah. the postcodes are all CR. So they're like all Croydon postcodes, which is a bit interesting. But yeah, yeah Mitcham Library is not very far from me. It's like a 10-minute walk. You should have right. let me know. I would have popped down. Next time. Next time. <laughs> and what was your relationship with games as a kid? Were they, were, were they something you were into or did that come later on? I have a, I wish I could dig up this photo, but there's a photo of me. So I'm the youngest of four. So I've got a big brother and then I've got two sisters and then there's me. And my biggest brother had, what do you have, a Nez? He had a Nez and he had Duck Hunt and he had the orange gun. And I just remember like my childhood, just growing up watching them play the games and me just watching and just being like, this is the best thing I've ever seen. And just being like wanting to have a go. So like, I don't know, maybe I've just been indoctrinated into like games from a very very early and like impressionable age but like i just i just remember growing up with games they were just always in the house i think even before the nes we had an atari 2600 with like decathlon and like some of these old games defender pong i remember us even having like um the older folks on, on the pod will know this but there's like a little paddle style controller you could get we had like a little wheel basically like a little jog wheel and that was like used for playing like pong and breakout and stuff like that so yeah i've just just grown up with it it's like it's all i know it's like i was just born into this world of games so yeah that's kind of how it all started for me cool and so what was school and uni like for you you went to university of westminster what did you study 
So I, well, yeah, I went, I did go there and I studied at the time the course was just called computer games. It was the first year they ever did the course. So they were ironing out a lot of kinks. I, I, I mean, I don't think they ironed them out while I was there, but I think since then. Did they at least get a more specific title? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I think, I feel like when I applied, it was called computer games design and programming. And then it just sort of just became computer games. And they were just, I don't know. Trying to, <laughs> they were trying to work it out. I, I don't blame them. They were just trying to, they were trying something, which was cool. Trying to come up with like a slightly more, I don't know, I guess like vocational like course where you would just learn stuff needed to make a game. But yeah, it, it was a mixed bag. You learned a bit of everything. It was like you, we all left that course like sort of jacks of all trades. We weren't necessarily skilled enough to be a junior programmer or an artist or a designer. We just sort of knew a bit about all the individual parts, which is a bit interesting. I think they've, they've ironed out the kinks since then. I know there was always a really good programming focus course in uh, Scotland at Abate Dundee. I remember that one was really good. And I think they even had a, some sort of partnership with Rocksted, Rocksteady, who's up there. No, Rockstar. Not Rocksteady. Rocksteady make all the Batman games. But Rockstar up there. And I think that was a good way to like go on a uni course, come out and know you have like actual real job prospects. Um, mm. But my course was okay. I met some good people. And it kind of led on to me getting my first job as well, actually. Were there any other career paths that you had been considering or set onto before thinking about video games? Sort of. So I, I did work experience when I was at secondary school. So I think age 15, I went to my mum's office and i was doing like it support in there and it was genuinely like the program the it crowd like it was just a lot of <laughs> answering phones people telling you that like the printer doesn't work and i'm like is it turned on can you like can you genuinely like turn it off and on again and stuff like that and that genuinely was fixing stuff and i was like <laughs> i couldn't imagine doing this as a job even though i like i liked computers i grew up with the games but i also was just into computers in general and stuff like that and i was like i couldn't do this and also the bigger issue I had was the fact that I had to wear a shirt. And I was like, I don't want to yeah. wear shirts. I don't want to own so many shirts that I can wear a different shirt every day. I want <laughs> shirts to be reserved for special occasions. So I was like, there has to be some sort of job that's computers and games together in some way. So when I saw that course pop up when I was applying for unis, I was like, that's, that's it. It just felt like it was, felt like my destiny. I was like, this is the job. <clears throat> I know it's going to be a bit more casual. You can come in. I, I was like, I need to wear a, I need to be in a job where I can wear like, jeans and t-shirt every day otherwise i'm not it's just not the vibe's not right for me i need to be mm -hmm. able to be like real chill and real laid back so i didn't really let anything try and tempt me away even though like someone told me oh you should work in a phone shop you get commission you can make loads of money i was like i, I don't think i want that i think i want to do the games thing and like i was a bit stubborn as well i think like no one could have told me you're not doing games i was like really determined to make it in that being said i have some friends who like did other careers and they made like loads of money they got massive houses and i'm a bit like oh but i don't <laughs> think they have i don't think they have the same job satisfaction i do so yeah yeah in your face <laughs> everyone's on their own path right i love that your decision was exactly not your decision but that was like i don't want to wear a shirt <laughs> in the phone shop you have to wear a shirt <laughs> yeah they're too tight on your neck i can't breathe they're like it's like being strangled i can't i can't be doing that <laughs> I definitely have had a similar experience of just uh, not liking the uh, choice of clothing and that deterring me from. Yeah, <laughs> so every day, most of your life wearing that. Think about it. It's like, hell no. Yeah, that. So tell us the moment that you knew you wanted to make games. What was the light bulb? Let me think. It might have been when I was playing Beautiful Joe on, what, like, I got on PS2. 
because I never had a GameCube, but I think I played Beautiful Joe and I remember just being like, oh my gosh, this game is so good. It just like, I hadn't played anything like that before. I hadn't seen like the shell shading and I hadn't experienced like the, the way the like mechanics intermix with each other with the special effect powers and stuff that you had. And I was just like, I need to, I need to be involved in making stuff like this. It was just, I think that game just inspired me. It's probably still, I've still considered it to be my favorite game ever. And it just, yeah, I think the time in my life when I saw that, I think I was getting a bit bored of like standard kind of like the regular kind of EA style of game that was coming out. I think I was playing a lot of FPSs and stuff. And this was something so fresh and new. And I was like, this is like so creative. It's so unique. It's so original. Like I need to, I just need to be part of this world. And I think, yeah, that might have been the moment. I think I think I saw Beautiful Joe. I was like, yeah, absolutely need to, I need to really pursue this. Like if I get an opportunity to like, study games or like be involved in game creation in some way like then i'll be i'll be set for life wow <laughs> you're so easily able to pinpoint that moment <laughs> that's good that's good um what was the reaction from your parents or other family members when you started to pursue that oh well it, it, it was a mixed bag i mean when i first went to study it they were like are you sure you want to do such a specialized course what if it doesn't work out you know but i mean i'm fortunate in that my parents aren't the sort of typical parents who move to the UK and then want their kids to be like a lawyer or doctor. They were much more like, they're way more chill. They were like, as long as you're like doing something like legal and you're like working hard and you're doing your best and you're enjoying yourself, that's almost enough for us. Um, and so I think my, my first job was actually at Sega as a game tester back in like, I'm going to say early 2009. I think it probably was literally January 2009. And they had at least heard of the company Sega. So like for them, they were like, oh, okay, like you're at a like reputable company. That's good. We know, we, we know, know Sonic. We know, we know Sonic. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Like, and there'll be, it'll be somebody to say, oh, you know, my son works at Sega doing games. He makes games at Sega. Even though I was just literally only testing at the time um, <laughs> and stuff like that. But yeah, I think I've just been, been fortunate enough to have parents who are kind of open open to sort of more creative kinds of jobs for their kids and i think maybe also i have an i had an ability to sort of like just convince them <laughs> i could say some words to them they didn't quite understand i'll be like oh yeah but you do this and that and that and it sort of they were like okay that seems to make sense so i guess we'll just trust you and like it was that i think it wasn't until joining us two and winning like a couple baftas for monument valley that they were really like oh okay like our son is like he's a bafta award-winning like games developer this is cool and i think they've never worried about me since then but i think it's quite <laughs> safe to say up to that point they're always like is what if this game stuff doesn't work out son what are you gonna do you're gonna work at the home office you got any like other prospects a lot, a lot of stubbornness and like kind of kind of cool and easy going my parents are jamaican you know so they're pretty laid back in general anyway so well, it's good that they were like supportive and, you know, parents are always going to be concerned, right? So it sounds like yeah. you got a good deal there. <laughs> I, got, I think also I'm the baby. I think the babies of the family tend to get away with more than any any kids who were born before you. <laughs> <laughs> um, did you get any good advice at that early stage? Not really, you know. I think basically I think the best advice I got was from a friend I met at uni who told me, oh, you know, Sega's hiring for game testers. <laughs> and it was basically like, just put Sega on my radar as a company based in London that is like currently looking for anyone who's interested in games. Like the, the barrier for entry, at least back then, was quite low for the QA team because it was just like, we just need people to just sit down, get their eyes on these games because we've got so many coming through. So this is like back with like, the Wii was just coming out and stuff and like Mad World was coming out and I think Bayonetta was around and stuff like that. And um yeah, if it was probably that was probably the most important piece of information I got. Just being told 
go to SegaEurope.com or whatever and apply. That's probably the biggest thing. But like otherwise, I was kind of going it my own way. I, I was just very, very focused on wanting to do it. And I was like, just going to make it, make it my own way. Cool. I mean, that's very specific advice. <laughs> You're gonna find there's this trend here. Like people just tell me one thing, and I go and do that thing, and then it just all works out. I don't know. I've been very lucky, I've been very fortunate in this uh, this career of mine. Your luck stats are high. Yeah, I guess that like for for listeners, you know, look out for that. I think that is a good piece of advice to listen out for is when people tell you that there is someone hiring look into it <laughs> yeah maybe that's more of a thing right it's like trying to be confident and like just i don't know having a bit of self-belief and like mm. i know i myself i've told people like hey the company i'm at we're literally hiring have you applied for that job yet and they'll be like i'm gonna get back to it i'm not sure if i'm ready for the i'm like you should just apply just apply because you don't know you might just like yeah. don't worry about ticking off every requirement on the job thing you just put it in because i guarantee you people who are way less qualified are also applying but mm. in fact they've applied and you haven't immediately they're closer to getting the role than you are. Yeah. Shoot so you a shot, right? You've got to miss, shoot your shot. Every miss hundred percent of the shots you don't take. <laughs> but yeah, it's really true. Like you sometimes just gotta go for it. Like, what's the worst that could happen? Now they're aware that you're here. Now people mm -hmm. now someone else knows you're looking for a job. Like that's the worst that happens. Good good piece of advice. Um so you work at us two games. What are the pros and cons around working a day job in games versus creating your own company? Oh, wow. So for me, the pros are like, so in my role right now as producer, I, I get a bit more insight into like what it really takes to manage a, a company. And I'm so, so, so glad that we pay people who like handle all the like legal side, the HR side, all the stuff to do with like actually keeping the company running, like worrying about budgets and profitability and making sure like keeping the lights on and stuff. Like where I am, like in my role is like I just basically focus almost one hundred percent on just my team and making sure everyone's happy and they know what they're doing and everyone's just like getting along. But there's like this other side, like there's this very business side of it. And I think people don't realise how much goes into it especially even even the marketing like a lot of people probably like want to make an indie studio and they've got a great game idea but it's like that's half of it like the other half is actually like how do you now sell this game because there are games that are very unique and original and cool but like if no one knows it's coming out or no one ever sees it like no one will ever buy it and then you're just sort of you're kind of done for so yeah i think the benefits obviously like are just the regular income the regular salary like the comfortability i don't know like the regular salary you got pension you got paid time off Like i can literally if i'm ill and i need a couple of days off i'm it's paid or if i need a holiday i can like take holiday and it's like it's paid as well loads of little benefits and just a bit of safety and structure i think it's the it's the safety that i like the most about working for a company i mean yeah I've, i have been tempted with the idea of like oh well you make your own thing but again it's like you probably have to just either hire someone who's going to run your company for you or you have to learn that and then you hire someone else who's going to make the game for you. I think it'll be really difficult to do all the bits needed on your own mm. without just like completely burning out. It's really tricky. Yeah. Yeah. Paid six days is like really, really crazy. <laughs> <laughs> I recently got like a, a day job, I guess. Yeah, I'm like, wait, what? You you pay me for not coming in when I'm sick? And I just don't, I don't, it's like really, really weird for me to like now wrap my head around again. 
Yeah. It's, it's super underrated, right? It's just like, yeah, I'm sort of just, especially like literally we're heading into this like really crazy times, like really like the cost of living's shooting up and everything's like really unknown and people are like, what the heck's going on? So like having that just, you know, every month, you know how much is coming in, you know what day it's coming in so you can schedule your bills to come out at that right time and little things like that just make your life better, like quality of life. Mm. It's really nice. And then we get loads of perks as well with the job as well, like get like dental and like medical care and nice to come in and see people and you can host host events and stuff like that it's really nice so let's go into a bit more about making video games so how did you land your job at us two games how did you feel when you got it okay again this is like one of these things where the universe just came together and helped out mike uh, a friend of mine <laughs> who i met back at sega uh shout out to shaz just DM'd me on Facebook one day. So I was working at, I think I was in my third job in the industry at the time, a place called IdeaWorks Game Studio. And I was like a senior QA tester slash associate producer there. And I was happy, I was comfortable as a permanent role, like my first permanent role since joining the industry. And I was just comfortable, I was happy. And then I just got a DM from a friend saying, hi, a friend of a friend is looking for someone who could like head up QA at this company that wants to make mobile games. Are you interested? And I was like, well, I mean, I'm pretty comfortable where I am now, but it won't hurt to, like, have a little look. So I popped in. I went up to Shoreditch. I had my first interview at us two. Went in. I saw they had, like, printouts of, like, all these memes they had made of each other. Like, they were photoshopping each other on, like, different bodies and doing face swaps and all this stuff. And this is, like, 2012, so a bit before the filters. They were, like, manually, like, just putting each other's heads on stuff and I came around they had all this like all this like wacky stuff in the studio they had like mannequins and like a big cow and I was like this feels so weird to me this world is so different from to what I'm used to but I'm vibing with it it just felt like the right thing because I at my job at the time I was the one who had like all the little photoshops on the wall because I was like making silly pictures of my of my teammates I was like the only one and now suddenly in this crazy studio where like everyone was doing it and I was like I think I found my people I need to join here but yeah as soon as I came in I just felt super like instantly at home like the founder Mills so there's two founders hence the name us two a guy called Mills and a guy called Sinks and Mills was like the more like I don't know he's like what's the word I'm looking for flamboyant like he was like the energy he was like the sort of the one who draws you in because he's just got loads of energy, super personable. He's like hugs everyone, calls everyone bro. And they're working with like banking clients who come in wearing suits and ties. And he's like giving them hugs and stuff. And I was like, yeah, why couldn't you run your company like that? Why wouldn't you run a company like where you just like the people you work with and you just like give them hugs and like just say what's up? And like, I liked that it didn't feel corporate at all, even while working with like corporate clients and stuff. And I was like, and you guys want to make games? Like, I know games is like the thing I've literally like, I was born to do this. Um, so yeah, us two's felt really, really comfy since joining. And I've been there. I will have been there for 10 years in November. So I've, yeah, I've, I've loved it. And I haven't fallen out of love with the company yet. Sounds like a really lovely journey. I feel like maybe we're asking you the wrong questions. I feel like we need to be asking you, do you have a rabbit's lucky foot? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Do you avoid walking under ladders? Um, like, have you considered writing a book? Like, I did it and here's how you can too. Yeah, I mean, I, just do that, right? I mean, I guess, I don't know. I'm trying to, I do, I do think does. about Just be like Mike, right? Like <laughs> Mike. But no, I guess the key thing, right? If I had to like distill it, it's like, 
being, I don't know, well, I mean, some people, you're like either kind of born a bit more introvert or extroverted. I'm definitely heavy on the extrovert scale. But like, just being nice to people and talking to people and never like sort of burning bridges because the person who told me from uni about the fact Sega were hiring, he actually had to leave the course early, but it was just the fact that we were still in touch that he was able to tell me about that. And similar with my friend Shaz, like we hadn't worked together for like a year or two, but it was just like being amicable and being friendly and sociable, I guess. Like, I guess the main thing is like, if you kind of, you kind of have to put yourself out there a bit and like, I guess the key skill there is networking, right? If we had to distill it into an actual like measurable thing you could do, like try and like talk to people and like make a connection with them because you never know, like you might be able to help them out. They might be able to help you out in the future. So just like, yeah, just don't be, don't be horrible. Just be nice as much as you can. And good things might come your way. Don't be horrible. Just be nice. Yeah, of the day. Be, yeah, just be nice. It's, it's really interesting to me when I hear stories of people like people just not being nice. I was like, but, but why wouldn't you just be nice? I can't, I, I, part of me is like, why wouldn't you just be nice though? Why are you actually being horrible? <laughs> uh, yeah, it's a bit bonkers, but some people are like that. So we want to know, what do you actually do? So can you explain what the role of an associate producer looks like? So what departments do you interact with the most um, to do your job? Robert, well, I interact with all of them. Every single department, but I guess genuinely, I would probably work a bit more with the QA team and the program. Probably QA programming and design. It's probably only art and maybe the sound team that I don't interact with as much. So basically, my role is I I provide the structure, I guess, to the team. So I have a team, like a multidisciplinary team. So I've got artists, programmers, designers, uh, sound designers, QA testers, myself, game director, everything. And everyone has loads of ideas and everyone wants to do everything. And I'm the one who has to be in there and be like, okay, I've taken all this, everything you all want to do. And it will take us like 10 years to do that. So how do we get that down to like, you know, something we can have done in like two years, maybe. And so it's a lot of communication. So I start my day off with a a team stand up. So every member of the team, it's like a quick 15 minute meeting where we just all go around and everyone just basically says, what you were working on the day before, what you're trying to do today, and like if anything is like preventing you from getting your work done. And we just do that as a, like our morning ritual. Everyone comes in, we let people know, like, oh, I'm going to have to head off a bit earlier today, blah, 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 let people know. Anyone who you might work with or just in general, the whole team, just so everyone has like an idea of what's, what's going to be happening throughout the day. And if you're stuck, that's like a really good time to like at the beginning of your workday be like, I tried to do this and it wouldn't work. Is anyone able to help me right after this like, call and someone can jump on? And then after that, where I'm at now, we go through a list of bugs. So I grab all my team leads, all my project leads. So I get my lead artist, designer, programmer, QA, sound designer, game director. And we look at the bugs that have been found by the QA team from the previous day. And we just prioritize which ones are the worst, like offenders, most severe bugs. We decide which ones we're going to work on and which build of the game is going to be fixed in and stuff like that. And then I just sort of, for the rest of the day, it's a bit of a mixed bag. I could be doing anything from like trying to order some new hardware for one of my team members. Maybe someone's like, oh, can we get a new, a new iPhone's come out? And I think the screen's really big and it might mess up like some of our graphics because it might just reveal some bits that like are usually hidden on a smaller device. So I might have to order some new phones or I might have to do some sort of like tax refund forms or I might need to go into Jira, which is our project management tool and just like do a tidy up of that. It's like a notoriously clunky 
and not super user-friendly tool, but it's very popular and common in the games industry. I so vaguely I remember there's... it from my software engineering days. Oh, yeah, yeah, Jira. I mean, it's probably not become any better. Yeah, so maybe you could go right back into it, but I might just do a bit of admin on there and just like check tickets are moving. I like keep an, not that I'm like watching everyone, but I'll be like, is there a problem with this specific thing because this ticket doesn't move it's not moved for like a week so are you stuck on it and you've just not told anyone and if so how can i help you so i might do stuff like that translation like for the current games we're working on we have a lot of external partners we work with like a lot of our translations are done externally so i'm talking a lot with them so it's sort of like i'm the sort of go between between our team internal team and like external teams so like i try and just allow my team to just sort of Focus on what you're doing. Like, if you're an artist on my team, I want you to just do art and you shouldn't have to worry about anything else. Uh, if your computer doesn't want you to tell me and I'll try and get you a new computer ASAP. Otherwise, like, I don't need my artist to be worried about, like, tax relief, tax forms and stuff. Like, I'll take care of that. Don't worry. You just get your head down, focus on your work. It's all good. And I just try and answer questions. I, I generally have a just a big to-do list that I prioritize. So, like, I just have a big list of stuff and I just try and work through that list as much as I can. But like a lot of the role is a bit reactive. Like sometimes a new problem will spring up and you just need to be able to like jump on that as soon as you can if it's like a really big problem. Or if it's not, then add it to the to-do list and give it like an appropriate like priority and just get to that at the right time. But yeah, in a nutshell, it's a lot of like making things better and easier, trying to simplify the whole process of making games generally. Sounds a bit like a like a management game. <laughs> It is like a game. It is a game to make games. That is definitely true. I'm like, it's reminded me of playing a bit of two point, you know. <laughs> it, it feels sometimes it feels more like overcooked though, because you're like, oh my gosh, I like the yeah. pots are like burning. You're burning. like, oh my gosh, I need to get to those. Like it's definitely yeah. sometimes it's more overcookedish, and it's like, you need to, where's the fire extinguisher? <laughs> Quick! And you're running out like, all right, we're gonna throw that all in the bin. We're gonna start that again, and we're gonna do this, this, and this. And the customers aren't getting their meals. It's a whole yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I hear that. I hear that. So what non-technical skills do you have to make use of to be a producer? Loads and loads of communication. I feel like maybe as much as 90% of my job, maybe even more, like maybe like 100% of the job is communication. Like I just, I just have to talk to my team all the time. This like, it's very rare that one of the questions I need to answer can't be resolved by just having a conversation with someone. So like, yeah, being a, a good listener is also good. Like as well as like sort of solving problems, I do like just do check-ins with my team just to see how they're getting on. Like it's not as sort of like super strict, like, oh, I noticed you haven't moved your tickets. It's sort of like, how how are you doing? Like what's been, what's been going on? Is there anything I can help you with? Just really general stuff. And, you know, sometimes people will be like, oh, I was hoping I would have had a chance to work on this specific aspect of the game, but I've sort of ended up doing a lot of this one thing. And they wanted to like sort of develop in that area and i'll be like all right well thanks for telling me like and i can try and speak with their leads and be like is there an opportunity for this person to learn this stuff because they want to improve their skill set and just like diversify what they're able to do bits and bobs like that so like communication is a massively important one what other sort mm. of skills are there i mean i'm not very organized to be honest you're supposed to be organized <laughs> for this role i'm not naturally very organized but okay. i think being able to communicate 
kind of carries you. <laughs> it can carry you quite well through stuff because, like, you can if like this is the sort of approach I had when I was learning like Japanese, for example. Like learning to read Japanese is like super hard. Like the kanji is the bit that always that's like the hard brick wall that everyone's like, oh my gosh, like I learned how to speak and I learned hiragana and katakana, but now the kanji is like kicking my butt. And There's I was like always, Japanese people who like get thrown off by kanji. Yeah, yeah, I think it's difficult for Japanese people <laughs> yeah. to learn too. So it's like, well, mate, like. <laughs> I didn't even grow up with it and I'm trying to learn it too, right? As an adult. But like, I always felt like if you could speak Japanese well enough, you could probably politely ask someone, excuse me, what does that sign say? So like, I always felt like communication as a skill is good. It can sort of cover up for some of your shortcomings in a way. Like, I think I've become way better and being way more organized just through having been through so many life cycles of games and knowing like, okay, clearly you need about this much time to do that and like trying to put stuff in sequence and in order and stuff. But each team kind of works differently. Um, and so you can't kind of just come in and be like, oh, I'm just going to like work everything out straight away. It's loads and loads of communication. And then you develop your plans and your like schedules and timelines in collaboration with all these different people. So I guess collaboration, I guess that would also be a soft skill. Being able to talk to other people, but I think everything ties into communication. I think communication is probably like the the lifeblood of the role, like being able to speak to people, letting people know when something's a problem and when it's not. Like I could, you can easily overshare. When I say communication, not just like telling your team everything all the time, because you might like tell the team something that's not even yet a problem. And then like everyone starts panicking and stuff and they go like, ah, but just like identifying when it's like, okay, I need to let like, who do I need to let know this information? What's the best way in which I can like deliver this information to these people? and make sure everything's cool. So yeah, communication, organization is a good one. If you're already organized, that would definitely go a long way. It's quite surprising because what you described, what you do in a day was very much things that require organizational and yeah. time management <laughs> skills. And then you're like, I don't have those skills. <laughs> yeah, I wasn't um, blessed with it. <laughs> um, but then it all boils down to communication uh, in a way that seems to create, from what you what you said, sounds like a very positive working environment. Um, and communication seems to be a very key skill of yours because it seems to be a running theme during this during this conversation we're having. Yeah, I mean, I think we're just like getting our way up. You know what it's like? It's like any sort of like. 80s 90s action kind of films where there's always one guy who's just like the, the fast talker he can get himself out of any problem <laughs> i feel like that like eddie murphy and like just talk your way in and out of situations as you need to and you can get what you require like that but now nah, i think I, I think i have become more organized like i definitely mm. like have it maybe i'm i'm, I'm selling myself short here maybe because it sounds like you you need that but maybe it is something that you learn and, yeah. and developed and uh, your communication allowed you to develop that because like you said you can ask if you can learn how to ask what the sign says then <laughs> then you, you don't need to learn how to read the sign right well i mean it'll be still good if you could read the sign but like you know you can still find your way <laughs> exactly right like you could point at the menu and be like I'd like one of these, please, and point at the menu without having to learn how to read the menu. That always. Yeah, I tried that though. The one way it falls short, because uh, I was in Japan and I wanted to, because you know, you can point at things and I knew mm -hmm. that, but the time I needed it, I was already inside. So I didn't know how to say, come outside with me so I can point <laughs> at something. 
Uh, <laughs> and then this whole this whole situation, there were two ladies in the table next to us who were just like finding this whole thing amusing. Um, <laughs> yeah, so it works. It works up until a point is what I'm saying. Yeah. You so that's the next thing you need to improve your communication so you can learn how to ask. <laughs> yeah, come with me. <laughs> yeah, please follow me quickly. So what would then be the most challenging aspect of being a producer? And attached to that, what's the most rewarding aspect? I guess for me, the most challenging part is I mean it's it ties into like being organized and stuff. It's like just keeping track of all the little moving pieces. Because yeah, you've got you've got your team members who basically can focus on like the one thing that they're meant to do generally. Like you've got your programmers hopefully just focusing on programming, designers focusing on design. But then there's all these other little bits that come up and you need to be in charge of all of that and sort of I'm working with like maybe like three or four external companies at once and like some of them have like interrelated dependencies. So like maybe this company needs this company to finish that before they can start that and like just trying to like lay things out. And that's where like a spreadsheet comes in handy or some sort of roadmap where you go like, okay, let's start like sequencing stuff up in a timeline. But yeah, sometimes it's just like so many things Like I might do my check-ins with my team members and I might just end up with like, 10 new things to add to my to-do list and it's just like oh wow okay i've just added 10 things and they all seem to be a roughly the same importance like it seems like if i do any of these things like it's going to be like really helpful for the person who's asked for it and just kind of like trying to yeah shuffle it into the the right order like trying to pick make the right choice at a time like it's better to make a decision than not to make a decision but sometimes like did i did i do the right thing at the right time oh my gosh and like how's that getting on again so like, I don't know, you learn tricks. Like I use a lot of um, Trello. If anyone's ever used Trello, it's a great little tool. That's what I use for my to-do list now. And I just sort of have literally got like priorities. If I'm blocked on something, I put it in blocked. And then that sort of like needs to get unblocked before I can do it, which by nature makes that a bit of a high priority. But yeah, I guess in general, sort of like just trying to keep track of a lot of different things that are all happening at the same time. Probably the trickiest part. But then I guess for the most rewarding part, it's like helping others really. To be honest, I think when someone comes up to me and they're stuck and they're like, oh, I can't do this. Ah, and I'm like, hey, don't worry, leave it with me. And they do leave it with me and they trust me to get it resolved. And I actually do resolve it. And I'm like, here you go, my friend. Like sometimes someone like an artist might be like, can I get this tool? I'm having trouble making like this type of asset. But if I had this tool, that'll be really helpful for me. And I'm like, leave it with me. And then I'll run off and I'll talk to like the discipline lead. I'll talk to the finance team. Like, can we buy this or we can we afford it is that cool can we buy this tool talk with the programmer like this tool's not going to break any of the game right and then like just being able to close that loop give it back to the person and then seeing them now do their best work or like living their best life now and you're like i i made that happen like kind of like a little bit like i helped i made that happen you're like oh thanks man and like being really generous and like people be grateful is the word i meant to use not generous and then sort of them knowing that you're someone who's like looking out for them and got their back and then they like in turn they like got your back too and it's like everyone's like getting on and just enjoying working together i guess so yeah i i do get pleasure from like helping others to just be their best i'm a very much an enabler i'm I'm starting to learn about myself enabler in a good way though yeah, right? yeah. 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 Well, I'm sorry. <laughs> you should burn down that house yeah i should do that <laughs> like, i want to burn this house well let me get you yeah. some matches let yeah. me get you I mean, don't worry, don't you don't worry about it i'm gonna get you yeah. these matches i'm oh, gonna get you this lighter fluid i'm gonna handle it for you um it sounds like really really positive um so 
you were at us two games for monument valley which was very well received game what do you put that down to oh wow i mean there's a few things there's like one thing which is just like again not sorry to bring back this whole like luck thing (laughs) but we definitely released that game at a time when there was a lot of discourse about mobile games specifically i think flappy bird discourse was popping off a lot and people were talking about mobile games in the most negative way for years saying like these games are just addictive they don't offer you anything they're making like billions and billions of bucks off you with the adverts and stuff like that and there was a lot of like criticism coming out about mobile games um yeah and i think Flappy Bird got taken down. The creator took it down because he felt mm. so bad about what it was doing to people and everyone was getting addicted and like people were selling phones with Flappy Bird pre-installed <laughs> for like massive crazy markup. crazy time. It's bonkers, <laughs> right? When you think about it, you're like, wait, that really happened? And then like in the midst of all that, we sort of came out and we were like, hi there, we've just made this game. I think at the time it was what, like £2, £1.99? Maybe it even came out at one forty nine. I know that like inflation has bumped up. Like we've never changed the tier, the price of the game, but like the the tier pricing on App Store has just gone up and up and up over the years but I think it was like £1 maybe it was like £2 for the game when it came out and we're like we've made this game it's like £2 it's like we've put a lot of hard work into it and also it like ends like you can finish it in about an hour hour and a half is anyone interested in that? and people were like yeah and it sort of like it just came out at a really really good time like there's no way we could ever like catch lightning in a jar like that ever again that was really good but I guess, like, just more generally, the team we put together, we liked each other a lot. I think we had a really clear, like, vision for the game. Ken was the lead designer, had, like, a really, really strong and clear vision. I think he himself basically had become a bit tired of games being a bit bloated at the time. Like, a lot of games sort of just go on for a bit too long. And, like, we were all reaching a point where, like, some of the members of the team were, like, starting to have families and stuff. And we were, like... Gone are the days where we could just play games for like 30 hours and like collect lots of stuff or like 30 hours just to finish the game. And then if you want to do everything, it would then take you like another 60 hours. And we're like, do we have time for that? We're getting old. We're like in our mid, some of us are in our mid 20s, some of us hitting 30. We started like reevaluating priorities and stuff. And we were like, what's a game that we would be happy to play if it came out? Um, and we also had a bit of a little bit of pressure in that we knew that our games like team in the company had only like cost the company money and so we really felt bad about that and we were like we really need to work really hard (laughs) and try and do them proud because like we can't we can't exist if we keep just like like siphoning money off the main company so like that was a little bit of like motivation for us to do a great job but then like yeah it's a lot of inspiration from things outside the games went into it and just like we just thought about what would be like a really clean simple elegant i guess is the real word that i want to use like a nice elegant gaming experience that we believe a lot of people were like and we ended up with that we kind of had our fingers crossed released it all this discourse popping off so it was a really good time for it to happen and uh, the rest is history i guess mm-hmm. going back to that luck thing again um <laughs> it just happens so i can't help them, you do? <laughs> i feel like we need a fly on the wall just of your like reality show of your life so we can so we can like pinpoint what exactly it is that you do to have this just just seems to flow for you yeah I've got like angels angels on my side just like watching over me yeah maybe um maybe you're keeping that secret because it will ruin it and yeah why should we acknowledge it yeah 
Oh yeah, true. Well, we'll see. All right, we'll have to keep track of like if anything ever goes well for me ever again in life. <laughs> Next time you're on the podcast, it'll be like, oh, everything's gone wrong. <laughs> <laughs> the downfall of Mike. Oh no, what happened? Well, since the pod, like all the So you're now working on Dester: The Memories Between. What can you tell us about that game? Well, let's see. I, was, I, I could. See, let me think. All right, I'm going to try and make sure I say things that Jamie, our marketing lead, won't beat me up about. <laughs> so let's see. And then I'll, I'll try not to the, get you in trouble. <laughs> okay, I'll, give you the, I'll give you the quick synopsis. Okay, Desta is a turn-based tactics game with roguelite elements, roguelike elements. So it's a bit of a roguelite where you play a young person called Desta. They, them, they use they, them pronouns, they're non-binary protagonists. And they're someone who... Moved out of a small town. They live in a small town called Hargate in Manchester. And two years ago, their father passed away and they weren't dealing with it in a great way. So they moved out of home and moved to like the big city for a bit. And now two years since their father's passing, their mum is now trying to sell the family house. So they need to come back and like collect their belongings, sort of say goodbye. It feels like they're saying goodbye to dad because it's like selling part of the, the family. But like over those two years, they've not really been in touch with their mom. They've not been in touch with their friends from back in the day. And now they're sort of getting a bit worried about, oh gosh, how do I, how do I like talk to these people now? I've got to come back. There's no way I'm not going to see them. They're going to be like, oh, you just left me on red for like two years. What's up with that? Um, and so they're a bit worried about that. And these sort of thoughts are keeping them up at night. And they sort of fall into this like lucid dream state where they're playing this ball game. So their dad, while he was alive, was a, a youth worker. And he used to like play a ball game with the kids he worked with as a way of helping them open up about like situations and how they're feeling and emotions, stuff like that. And so in their dream, Desta is basically playing this game with the people from their lives. So like their best friends, they're like using this ball game as like a metaphor for like conversations, for like things you wish you could have said to them or things you want to say with them. It's very, very dreamlike. It's very surreal. It's got a lot of abilities and like, it's a mixed genre of like, I mean, it's funny you mentioned Hades earlier. So it's a bit, it's a bit of Hades in there. There's a bit of like Into the Breach. There's a little bit of Inception going on there with like sort of dream world. It's very cool. It's very interesting. It's coming out on the Netflix games platform uh, a little bit later this year. And then we're looking to get it out on PC and console a bit after that. And I think that's a safe way to describe the game without <laughs> me getting in trouble. Sounds like a really good game, to be honest. Is most of your work pre is most of your work pre release? Does the producer's role stop once the game has been released? Nope. No, it never <laughs> ends. Uh, particularly with us working on mobile games, simply because there are so many updates of things like mobile operating systems. Like iOS gets updated all the time, Android gets updated all the time, and that work to like maintain the games always needs someone to be in charge of it. Um, so I'm doing a lot, especially. There was a thing where I think when the iPhone 10 first came out and I was like the first phone with a notch and we were just like, wait, what? We were like, oh my gosh. We were like, oh my gosh, what do you do with all our games? Like all the buttons are designed to go right up to the edge, but obviously put the notch <laughs> there and now it's hidden. So like, yeah, producers are always sort of like having to fight fires and well, not that it was a fire, but like try and solve these new problems that might appear. So like any sort of like maintenance that happens for any of our games, like we always need someone from production to sort of like work out who in the company would be like the best person to like join the team how long the work might take um any other sort of sometimes when you want to do these sort of like maintenance fixes it's like well you know what there was that one bug that someone logged ages ago that like we could quickly like sneak that in if we just update it and say like now we support iphone 10 
we also like did a bunch of little extra fixes. Those sorts of things can happen. So yeah, producers producers work is never done, unfortunately. Definitely more busy towards the ends of a project, I would say, just when like things are really like the timelines really have to be like respected a bit more. Like when you're earlier on, it's sort of like you can push things out a bit and a bit and a bit and a bit until it reaches a point where it's like, okay, now this is the last day where this stuff can happen. Otherwise, we won't get enough time to test. We won't get enough time to bug fix and stuff. But yeah, no rest for the wicked, I'm afraid. <laughs> well, not for me anyway. I guess it's it could be different for different producers, but in a small company like ours as well, I find myself jumping between stuff quite a bit. Mm. And what have you learned from past projects that you've brought to this latest one? Oh, wow. That's a really good question. Um, let's see. That it's it's tricky to make a game with like more people doesn't necessarily mean you're going to get stuff done quicker. Our lead programmer, Bullet, he uses this phrase all the time. He says, nine women can't have a baby in one month. And I think it's like a very clever <laughs> analogy. It's like you can't just add more people and think that like the number of people you add to it. Like if you add 10 programmers versus one, it's going to be done 10 times faster. <laughs> like that's generally not what like happens. It probably, if anything, it'll probably slow you down because it's a time for like people to be onboarded, learn a new skill set and stuff like that. So like just learning how to sort of like basically we tried on this project to not have like just try and maintain the scope of the game to the point where we don't need to have a team of like loads and loads and loads of people it still has ended up being a, a quite big team but like i think we've done a good job of like managing it and being like okay look like sometimes less is more like having a bit more focus means like more quality like less levels uh, mm -hmm. means that you can focus on like making a better quality product at the end like sometimes you need to just sort of like trim the fat a bit or like you don't necessarily need to like just sometimes you you, you want to want people to like focus like people focus a lot on playtime of games as opposed to the experience and like i could say league of legends is the best game ever because i've played like thousands of thousands of hours of it but like a lot of those games i was having a horrible time <laughs> because the community is horrible and everyone's telling me like horrible things and stuff all the time but like you might have a really good experience playing like you know monument valley for an hour but like, yeah, more people doesn't mean more speed. That's my quotable line. Yeah, no, that's really good. Good insight. And the the uh, the baby analogy. Uh, it's so G. Every time, every he, like he said it so many times. I'm like, why do we keep making you say this? What are we? What do we keep saying? <laughs> I think it's because we're always like, can we just add someone? That would that would speed it up, right? And he's like, that's not how it works. It just doesn't work that way. Yeah. Um, does the reality of your job match the expectations you had when you started? Where is it different? It's really different, actually. I think I think I thought like when I was going to start in like production, like you basically like write a plan at the beginning of the project, right? And then you just say you work everything out at the very beginning, and I work out all the time scales and the time frames, and I go, all right, here we go. Here's the plan, and then I will just check that things happen according to that plan I wrote. Like that's how it goes, right? But it's way more reactive and like you kind of don't ever want to spend too much time on a plan because your plan will change. That's mm. just how things go. And it's sort of like getting a plan everyone can sort of agree to and sign up for in like the shortest amount of time possible with the knowledge that as you learn more about what it is you're making, you're going to be able to adjust that plan and like you might take things out and you might swap something for something else and you might want to add something else which then would make you need to add a bit more at the end for like fixing bugs and stuff like that i also felt like at least before i even joined the industry i thought like producers i don't know they had this vibe of being like 
rock stars. It almost felt like the producer was saying, producer. like, yeah, it almost <laughs> felt like a, a, games producers were coming out and say, oh, so this is the game idea. I got someone, you guys listening. Okay, listen. All right, so my game's going to do this. You've got guns and like you can do backflips, right? And you can swing and you can do that. And then like people just make that game. But it's way more like, it's way different. Like it's not that people are making your game. It's like you're helping people to make a game together. I always thought it was like a producer was like, just not like not a dictator, but it almost felt like <laughs> a producer had the ability to like decide what was made and tell people how to make it. But that's not really how it goes. It's like, I'm, my role is way more like, talk to people, what do we want to make? We want to make this? Okay, cool. If we want to do that, that will require this and this. So do we still want to do that or not? And it's like a lot of like questions and checking in with people and I'm like, producers are cool because you get to ask what seem like silly questions. Like you get to ask like really like obvious, that seems like basic, like, but do we have enough time to do that? Or like you could sort of be like, uh, why do we want to do that? And like you get to question people and interrogate things a bit more. Um, and like you sort of, where I am at least is sort of like a bit more kind of advisory. Like I have a game director who's like gets, who has the power to make the sort of decisions that I thought producers were making before. But I'm sort of like providing him with the information. I'm like, if you want to do that, that will require us to not do this. Now, are you happy with that or not? And then it's like these sort of things. So like I do the like the calculations and like check how this would affect our roadmap and then sort of feed that back and be like, are you cool with this? Like, just so you know, this decision you want to make will have these consequences. Are you happy with that? Yes or no? And then we just keep moving like that. But yeah, I, I totally thought producers were just coming up, rocking up, sunglasses on, being like, look, yeah, look, I got this idea, okay? Yeah, God of War. All right, make it. And then you walk away. <laughs> you walk away. You, come you see, it's like, you see Marvel, right? You see and how you Thor's... pick up the award, right? <laughs> yeah. And then they come out and get all the glory, right? But yeah, here it's way more like I'm helping everyone, helping everyone. Uh, as I say, I'm empowering. I think enabling was the wrong word I used before. I think it's, I'm empowering my team. To yeah. do stuff and be able to do their best work and feel confident and comfortable making decisions because I can give you some sort of like data to support the decisions you you need to make and stuff like that. But it will still yeah. be nice to like just just come up one day and be like make this game and then walk away <laughs> and then have a game done. <laughs> Maybe one day, but I have to beg to differ about uh, it not being a rock star role because I mean it sounds like what you do is is a bit rock star. <laughs> I, think, I don't know. I feel like it's very, it's just like really, I feel like a parent. That's <laughs> honestly how I feel about my team. Like I, I care for my team and I want them to like grow up like nice and strong. Like one thing I do almost every day is like check that they've been drinking water. You'd be surprised how many adult human beings do not drink enough water throughout the day. I bet I wouldn't. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm like, drink your water. Have you been hydrated? And I was like, I haven't had water for like three hours. I'm like, how are you even alive? Well, how are you even <laughs> How are you going to do anything? So, yeah. I need that. Yeah, yeah. I need that. It's hyper-focus. <laughs> when you're in hyper-focus, like, yeah. human function goes out the window and you're like, I am doing this thing. No, and that is can't. the only thing I am doing. Yeah, but I need my team to be healthy, you know? So I'm telling people to hydrate. I'm telling them to have stretches. I'm telling them to look out because everyone's like remote and like sat at the desk and not moving that much. I'm like, look out the window and focus on something far away so you don't get <laughs> eye strain. And this morning I was telling people, don't forget to moisturize. I'm telling my team, don't forget to moisturize. <laughs> Key things. Yeah. So I care about people's like wellness. Like I don't want you to like work yourself to the, to the bone making these games because they are games. It's supposed to be fun. And you're supposed to have fun and enjoy the process of making a game. So, and I want everyone to do it for a long time as well, you know? Don't just make one game, but it like, 
it burnt you out completely and now you need to like have a year off or something. <laughs> I hear that. So let's talk a bit about uh, diversity in video games. So while working full-time at Us2 Games, you're also a co-founder of the diversity organisation Pocket Play. How do you um, even balance that? Give us some tips on uh, time management. <laughs> uh, we, we do our best. I think everyone in Pocket Play has a full like nine to five at the same time so it has been tricky it's definitely been difficult it was it felt a bit easier pre-pandemic because we obviously did a lot of the hosting at us two games where i already was so that was cool because it's like i'd finish my day on a friday and be like all right people are coming down cool let's start like moving chairs around and stuff like that honestly weird <laughs> it comes down to the communication thing again like we've got a discord which is open to like the whole pocket play community and then we have like a slack for like the founders and the founding members like myself as well to like come up with like our strategies and stuff and we've been trying our best to do like monthly sync ups we're doing like a we do monthly discord socials as well right now while we're still waiting to see if like it'll be safe to bring back the physical ones um ultimately like sometimes life things get in the way and we're not always able to like do as much as we wanted like i think we've got some cool initiatives in the pipe right now but it's just sort of like, honestly, sort of like we, we, we've we got a thing where anyone can kind of pick up and start doing a thing. So it doesn't require necessarily like everyone all the time because it's becoming more and more difficult to find a time where everyone is free. Um, so we sort of empower everyone in the group to like, if someone has a cool idea and they start putting stuff together, you can create like a little proposal, share it around the team or like request to have a call with like anyone who's available and just sort of help flesh that out. But yeah, I feel like we haven't haven't been able to do as much as as we wish. I feel like we we were riding a big high in like twenty 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 early twenty twenty. I think we did a one year anniversary and we had this big like game stuff going on. We're like this this is our year, it's gonna be great. And then obviously like been locked down for like mm. on and off for like two years, and we sort of just been like, oh gosh, <laughs> what do we what do we do? I feel that honestly, yeah. I think it's just like communicating we've shifted as much of our stuff to like be digital as much as possible like everyone kind of had to do just because you know you know no one could leave their house right <laughs> so just trying to move stuff to like digital forms trying to replace stuff but i don't know if anyone's going to replace like the, the physical meetups they had a sort of a certain level of energy and mm. vibe and you could just like just tap someone and there might be someone who you're like oh my gosh you know that's like that's Abu, he's the voice of Bayek in Assassin's Creed. And he's just That's there. literally what happened a... to me. Are you already? Yeah. <laughs> you know, you can just like have a chat to him and stuff and tap him. And I mean, he's really busy with his own game studio now, which is awesome. But like, he used yeah. to just be there, someone you could just tap on the shoulder and have a chat with. So it's been tricky. But yeah, I mean, we just, we're just communicating as much as we can. We talk to each other all the time and just, we do what we can. <laughs> but yeah, there's like your work life and then just like life life with the covid and lots of different stuff is happening and then there's this other side of it which is like yeah the pocket place stuff it's been tricky it's been tricky but i think we've got some cool stuff coming up we managed to do like from lockdown this um bafta takeover and we did the black history month 100 we made like these 100 mm -hmm. um we highlighted 100 different black creators from like around the world and that was cool so i think it's just like when we get a chance like trying to find time and just trying to do a little bit like little bits and pieces but yeah definitely i'm definitely looking forward to when you're able to bring those in person walk and play events back because they're great and i'm not great at doing the uh this sounds really crazy <laughs> 
because I'm a content creator. But I'm not really good at doing the whole like online talking to people thing. So one of the founding members, Adam Campbell, is in our Do I Look Like a Gamer representation campaign. What controller would you have bought to the to represent you if you had been in it? So it has does it be have to be a controller? Because I reckon I probably I'd probably take a PS2 controller. I feel like I've got a lot of memories on the PS2, to be honest. Um, by or, controller as well, we mean like input playing device. All right, does a does a DS count? Does it have to be that something that counts? Yeah, that counts. Yeah. It, might, it might have to be a DS then. It might have to be a DS Lite. I'm trying okay. to think. Like those two like mm. meant a lot. Like I think DS was like that was what got me through uni. Like having a DS, and I had like I was importing games on there. I had like Jump Superstars, Jump Ultimate Stars. It was like the Shonen Jump, oh, like Smash Brothers type game. Yeah, there was so game. many cool games on the on the on the DS. It was like. Remember GTA Chinatown Wars? That yeah. was a killer. That was awesome. Tony Hawk's American Skateland. That was amazing. Like oh, brain man. training. Was a good, oh, brain a good training. Console. Oh my god. Like WarioWare <laughs> Touched. I think WarioWare oh, Touched is maybe my second favorite WarioWare after the um, Twisted one on the Game yeah. Boy Advance with a little gyroscope. But I think DS had so much on it. I had a, I had a synthesizer on there. There's like a Korg synthesizer. You can make music on it. And I, like, I think that was how I learned. That's how I learned um, hiragana and katakana by mm. buying Japanese games and playing them. I bought a game for Japanese school kids <laughs> to learn katakana, and also I had one for kanji as well. And it also played your Game Boy Advance games, you know. I think yeah, DS for me definitely. You might have to send me those uh, games that you learn <laughs> Japanese with. <laughs> I think I gave one to one of my friends, but I've got I've definitely got the kanji one still. Kakitori kun. Pass that name on to me. <laughs> yeah, it's really good. Loads, even Scribble Noughts. Remember Scribble Noughts when that came out? Oh yeah, Scri- I've it's got that really somewhere. Good. Mario Kart DS, one of my favourite DS. Mario, probably my favourite Mario Kart. Mario Kart DS was really good, and you could play online. It was like the first Nintendo handheld you could play online with Wi-Fi and Animal Crossing. Yeah, DS, hundred percent DS. <laughs> I feel like you've just resold me the DS. Yeah, was... <laughs> it's so good. Yeah. Uh, so we know diversity is important to you. But why? And what would more diversity bring to the games industry? Well, for me, I mean, well, I was always that stubborn kid, right? Who was just going to do games regardless. And as I've gotten older, I'm learning how much representation means to people. Like when I set out to get into games, there wasn't like someone who I had in mind who was like doing the job that I wanted to do. All I knew was I wanted to do games and that was it. And I was like, nothing would stop me from doing that. But like... Yeah, as I, as I've grown more wise in my older age, I'm like, oh, actually, like people really, really benefit and really appreciate being able to see people who look like them and from a similar background to them doing a job that they want to do. Because like, there's so many things in life that tell you like, you can't, no, you can't. Especially, I guess, for women as well. Like when you want to look at games dev dev role and you look at the team picture and it's all guys you're like oh am i gonna be comfortable there are they gonna make like inappropriate jokes and i'm not gonna feel welcomed and stuff like that so for me like representation is super important just because i i have a small attention span and i like i like new things i like creative stuff and i feel like when studios looked a certain way we started we were getting a lot of very same-ish kind of work no, no offense to anyone, but it seemed like the work was clearly not being inspired by like the full like breadth of like human experience that we've got on the on the planet. And like, yeah, I feel like just having more. It's more. It's more spices and flavors and 
it's like cooking almost like if you're cooking but you're only ever using like the same ingredients like how many interesting dishes realistically can you make before you like look we need some we need some new ingredients here please like someone has to mix something up can we get some spices can we get a bit of heat on here <laughs> can we get a bit you know some thyme can we get some paprika can we get something happening here to just make things a bit more more tasty and like something that i always use an example personally is like i feel like black panther when that came out and people were seeing for the some people a lot of people for the first time were seeing like some of these like traditional african style garb and like all those influences from like african architecture and like just clothing and all that and the music and everything people were like oh my gosh it's amazing like i remember having a friend of mine who's uh, who's white and he was just like that just blew me away like i've never seen that because like if you aren't in this sort of representing yourself you kind of have to rely on other people to represent you and i feel like say for africa the continent of africa like a lot of people if they think of africa they're going to think of just those adverts like please give money some sort of rich celebrity begging for like money for africa but africa's beautiful it's got like such diversity within that continent itself but you never get to see that and so it's sort of like part of it's like people able to reclaim their own stories and narrative and share things and like yeah for me i'm just like i like things to be very different like even when i describe what i like about my ds like everything about it was like so different like, i didn't say like oh i've got this one two three four five of this same style of games like everything's so different and that's what really interests me specifically in the games industry like i feel like games we're only touching like the surface i feel like there's so many untapped ideas and i feel like a lot of those might come from people who just haven't had a chance like because they don't feel like they're ready that they're able to join in or they haven't had a seat at the table necessarily um and yeah i've just seen like through the internet and twitter like i've found so many like interesting game creators and i'm like you, you should i don't know why you're not a massive star because you're clearly making cool stuff that i've never seen before and i'm glad that like tools have changed and stuff and that people can make their own way now like it's not even a thing of like you need to get a job at a, a big studio anymore like there's so many tools like you've got sites like itch unity offers free stuff i think unreal i think every may most of the major game engines i feel have like a free thing where you can just make a game put it out there and get yourself on someone's radar and then maybe you get an opportunity to like join a bigger studio or get funding and stuff like that but yeah for me it's just all about just wanting to see creative stuff i love to see it it's just exciting this industry is still relatively young right it's like so much untapped potential and creativity and i feel like the more welcoming we can make the industry the more of that we'll get a chance to see yeah um so on top of um obviously more access to tools that you've just just described where has diversity improved since the time you've been in the industry definitely in just dev teams well i mean yeah mainly dev teams i think when we did monument valley and we were at the baftas that was what 2015 and like I remember just noticing, just like, I think I'm the only black dev here. I feel like I'm the only sort of like, one of the only people who's not white. Like, there were some devs from Japan. Our team had like more racial diversity than average teams. We had people from like China and people whose heritage is Indian and stuff like that on the team. But I was like, apart from us, like all these teams are very white male. And I just remember feeling like very uncomfortable and awkward with like the fact that I was seeing more black folks who were like serving me food at the dinner then like also sort of joining in the celebration and i was like but you guys are from like la that's weird like why would there be more like there's gotta be black people in la like loads of music <laughs> i'm listening to is from la and like all the like i'm just a hip novel and stuff from the west coast like there's loads of i know there's people there they're telling me none of them are into games like games are so popular it's just really odd to me does not have that but yeah now i'm seeing way more people and just like i think people are 
making a bit more noise about themselves and sort of shouting. I feel like Twitter, I didn't really use Twitter that much before, so I'm not sure how many people are already on there just making noise and stuff. But I feel like I'm definitely seeing way more effort, especially from bigger companies to like do spotlights and highlight their team members, especially like things like, you know, when it is Black History Month, like you're seeing a way more concerted effort to sort of say like, hey, like, look, it's Black History Month and like, this is our teams, like we love and love supporting our thingy. And I know a lot of people might find it feels a bit uh when you're just doing something just, mm. just, just for the sake of it i completely I know, lost it's there it's on the tip <laughs> of my brain um performative performative, performative yeah performative. <laughs> we got it. yes with the assist but yeah it feels a bit performative but honestly like i i feel like every little helps in a way mm. like i think like even say for you like your particular the, the particular thing that wouldn't work for you to get you wanting to get in the industry isn't necessarily the same thing for someone else. So someone might just, I'm a big Xbox fan and I've, I'm have i a young black Xbox fan and I'm following an Xbox account and now I'm seeing their dev team are black. And I'm like, oh, wow, wait, can I, I can work there. Like that might be the thing that gets me into it. And I think that's not a bad thing at all. I think that's only good. Mm. And I think, yeah, you can't sort of just sort of, I don't know, I feel like sometimes on Twitter things get a bit, people get very militant, I think, about uh, this particular styles of like, outreach and representation yeah. that happens. You can be a bit too cynical sometimes I find. Like, yeah. Not that there aren't valid criticisms, but sometimes yeah. you just there's a bit too much cynicism. Yeah, absolutely. I'm like, mate, but like it's something, isn't it? Like it's yeah. a starting point. Like the fact they've even done this means that like they were up to it. And you don't know what's happening behind the scenes either. Like mm. a lot of times, at least say when we put out statements of like support for Black Lives Matter or anything like that from us two games, normally that'll be like I've said, hey, we should put a statement out. It's not the company doing some corporate thing. It's normally individuals who personally feel strongly about something and they'll be the ones to sort of start that conversation. And the company's like, yeah, like we're doing it. Bam. Like, thanks for raising that, Mike. We should do that. We want to be about that. And they do it. So just yeah. don't always don't always shoot everything down so quickly, folks, because it, it does help people. Like even yeah. if it wouldn't work for you, it doesn't necessarily mean that like it wouldn't work for others. Yeah. And so yeah. Of, like people most most of the time people are trying to do a good thing you know what i mean and it's fine to have criticism but i get what you mean like people just get so so cynical and so enraged and on the flip side if you don't do anything and don't say anything then you're equally <laughs> yeah exactly, exactly. <laughs> you gotta give, you got give people steps so that they can take them yeah definitely yeah so we spoke a bit about you not necessarily naturally being good at organizational skills, but being great at communication. So what are some of your other best skills and what are things you still need to improve on? Oh, man, this is like a really deep like look at myself. I'm critiquing <laughs> myself. Honestly, OK, so we've got this document at work, which um, we show to all the new starters. And basically, it's like the, the meet us, meet the team document where we've all written a slide about ourselves. And on that slide, I've listed one of my top skills as like boosting morale. Like I feel like I, I, like I keep people very energized and engaged. It's part of the communication stuff. It's probably because I'm an extrovert as well. But like I treat everyone the same, I guess. I just like just like I want everyone to have fun. I want everyone to get on. I want everyone to be cool. Every like my my base level is like when I meet you, you're immediately my friend and you can either go up and you'd have to do something really bad to get downgraded. But you're immediately at a, a slightly higher, more sociable uh, level with me. 
So like, I think like boosting morale is quite good. Also, I feel like at least here, because I've been here so long, I just know a lot of stuff. And I'm just sort of like a, I'm a helpful, like living Wikipedia or like a one-stop shop for a lot of things. Like if you need something, it's very unlikely I've not touched it in some way and doing that. And then just let's see what else. I've, I've got the company card. I can buy people stuff. I can do cool <laughs> stuff like that. I can buy snacks. I mean, I guess it's like a problem solving, I guess. It's just sort of the, an experience thing, I guess. Just from having been through, yeah, so many project like life cycles and stuff, just being able to offer, like, if people are sort of getting a bit nervous or worried about stuff, I could be like, hey, don't worry, I've done, this is not my first rodeo, I'll tell you how, how it goes, like, don't worry, this always goes like this and it goes like that and, like, don't worry about it and we're just making games at the end of the day, you know, no one's, like, losing their life or anything like this, it's like, we, we're quite privileged to be here, don't worry about it, it's like stuff like that, if that counts as anything communication skills i guess i guess ultimately everything i ever say boils down to <laughs> communication skills i guess and then let me see like what i'm not good at i think i'm really bad at doing things for myself in the sense that i spend so much time wanting to help others that i sometimes neglect my own needs so i'm really bad at like even like making sure I've achieved like my own like personal goals for the year and stuff like that. I like be like, oh, I, I, I was going to do that, but blah, 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 I needed something. So I just stopped doing that and helped them out instead. Like I'm sort of personally like give you, give you my shirt off my own back sort of thing. And be like, oh, do you need a shirt? Here you go, have mine. And now I don't have a shirt and I freeze to death, but I'm happy because you had a shirt. So I think the main huh. thing is like, yeah, trying practicing a little bit of like selfishness in that regard. Um, mm-hmm. I think saying no, I guess. That's probably a thing. Like, I know there's a book about like learning how to say no. Bit of a people please, I guess. So like trying to know where that line is and like I guess putting off a boundary, even though I don't maybe necessarily want to, but knowing I, I really should and it'll be healthy to be like, I will help you, but I also have my own things I need to do. And so I can't just drop everything at, at a moment's notice and just like help others. Because like right now, that's the sort of person I am. I kind of just like drop anything I'm doing. Like whoever's like the last person who tells me they need something is like, my main priority like i'm gonna help you like i need to help you like no blah 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 i said they need pencils i need to get them pencils come on and i'm like trying to find pencils for them or whatever so yeah being a bit of a people pleaser is probably my, my biggest flaw and yeah I'm, I'm working on it i'll see see if i'll be able to fix that but part of it feels like oh this is just who i am you know sometimes things feel like this is just who i am as a person though right can i change yeah. at this age now yeah, <laughs> I, I think it would be good to do that though mm. so um, that leads me quite nicely onto my next question because you've talked about how you look after everyone else's well-being but what do you do to balance um, your well-being and mental health with work i do a lot of i go for a lot of walks well this is something i just did from lockdown anyway so because normally i would be like at work when we worked physically in the studio i was stood up all the time i was walking around i was looking at people's stuff i was having tea breaks I still do the tea breaks, but I'm not as I'm not as mobile as I was before. I'm just, I'm sitting down a lot more. So like walks have been really good. I picked up running towards the end of 2019. So I already had all my running stuff for when lockdown just dropped on us. Um, and so I was able to do that a lot. So a lot of physical stuff like we've got we were doing yoga. We had like yoga teacher and stuff. And we had like a bunch of Zoom yoga classes which were recorded. So like I follow those. I do like an hour of yoga like few times each week so i'm still keeping up on my sort of like wellness and stuff and like i've really improved like just sort of being like it's basically lockdown has made it really easy to stay at your computer for way too long 
so I've really like made sure I'm making efforts to like I message everyone like everyone take a five minute break stretch your arms stretch your legs look out the window and I'll like get up and I'll actually like practice what I'm preaching I'll like get up and like walk around and stretch and listen to a lot of music I've got like cool stuff on the TV when I'm working at home and stuff like that and but yeah it's a lot of physical I'm finding myself doing a lot of physical stuff sometimes chill out and play like a more relaxing kind of game I think Animal Crossing was like a real big real big way to like chill out and unwind after work when that came out and that was like really good again that was a thing that came out in my opinion at the perfect time like Animal Crossing coming out when everyone's in lockdown it's just like that's very very fortunate like like everyone can hang out now again <laughs> which is cool but yeah lots of physical stuff lots of like physical well-being stuff I'm always drinking water doing stretch and I started following I bought like a kettlebell I've got a couple of dumbbells I've been doing like I've just been getting ripped basically that's what I've been doing. I've just been like working and just like lifting. It's <laughs> getting really, really, really hench. I mean, I'm not hench at all. I look exactly the same, but I am. I'm internally stronger. Like I'm not going to be bursting out of any shirts. I'm not Terry Crews, but like I can, I can definitely do way more press ups and way more pull ups than I've ever been able to do. But yeah, it's been like a health, a health tip. Reading books was fun. Music, podcasts. It's anything, anything to feel like I'm socialising. I guess in a way. <laughs> Nice. And um, what does success look like to you? And are you there yet? So I guess success to me is like, I don't know if it's necessarily about accolades. I guess for me, it's more like, I guess a bit more about like longevity. I haven't been able to like, I guess maybe, maybe like having a, a career over a certain amount of time that's not had any like stinkers. Like I don't feel like I've made any bad games yet. And I've, been at the same place for nearly 10 years and i feel like everything we've released has reached a certain level of quality that i've been proud of and happy with i mean i was i have my name in some games that definitely did not do very well in my early <laughs> career but would i consider myself successful in that point of time probably not i think right now <laughs> consider myself successful because yeah i've had like a long a nice long career and i have no sign of of showing no signs of stopping i don't intend to stop anytime soon and yeah just being being healthy and happy and like liking the people I work with and I like the work that I'm doing and I'm, I'm paid nicely and I get like lots of like cool things and I think that's success if that's not success then what is right because oh, I don't want like, <laughs> good, like good a bajillion pounds or stuff right I just want to be I want I like I like a level of comfort and I feel like I've reached a level of comfort and then I've gone a little step beyond that where I've got like I'm able to have like the nice some of the nicer things that I like and I'm yeah the games have been well received. We've got like a nice fan base and they're always very nice about our games. And some, we still get messages from people talking about Monument Valley and how much they love it. I mean, that's probably because we just released it on PC, Monument Valley 1 and 2 on PC. Now, go get it. But um, yeah, loads of messages, people saying, oh, I really love this game. It meant so much to me when I played it. And just being like, great, that's really nice to hear. So yeah, I guess like a long career with like some, some really nice uh, feedback from players along the way. <laughs> I guess that's my success definition. Nice. Yeah, I love that. In each interview, we ask our guests to give advice for aspiring creative professionals. We've been talking about video games today. So what advice do you have for our listeners who may want to get started with creating their games or game studio? See, if you want right, to make your games, my advice is do it go to start making them because yeah as we touched on before like there's so many tools now there are like loads of tools there's loads of active communities there's loads of everything like stuff it's so democratized right now like you can make 
visual novels, you can get stuff like Twine and start making small like narrative experiences with that. You can get Game Maker, there's Play Canvas, there's Godot, there's like so many tools out there right now. And I mean, well, the only barrier for entry is kind of like having a computer and internet access. Because if you've got a computer with like, okay, internet access, you can now download all this software, you can watch tutorial videos, you can create an account on the forums for the engine, you can start talking to people. There's itch and other ways of like hosting your games cheaply or for free. So you can just start. You can just start. There's honestly like nothing. There's no reason why you wouldn't just start now. You mm-hmm. should just get just get to it. Hop to it. Be really good. I forget what the the second part of the question was. Nice. Um, you can give your feedback on the, this interview, and you can let us know what you think by emailing us at feedback at mymatter.com. This is the part where we end by throwing in some follow-up questions or random questions that don't quite fit anywhere else. And I really only had like two things, one more of a statement than a question uh, and a question. So like, I think it's, thank you first of all, that's the statement. Thank you for like explaining the producer role because, so I've recently been doing a lot of gaming focused workshops with young people and I'll have like some slides and I'll ask for, uh, like the slides have different roles and I'll ask like, a group and it could be as young as like 10 to you know sort of mid-teens and such like what they think the roles are and things like concept artists will come up and people have a goal because kids even if they don't know they'll try and be slick and try and reverse the words and just tell me the same the title so if i say concept <laughs> artist they'll be like oh is that an artist that works on concepts i'm like okay that's just the title <laughs> or the thing um try and give me a bit more but then i'll do like producer and then sometimes it just be like silence because they can't <laughs> they can't reverse engineer anything from that. But you've kind of broken down what the role is. So basically, what I'm saying, I'm, I'm I'm clipping this and I'm taking this to to workshops and saying this is what a producer does. Listen, so they talk, they talk to everyone all day long. Yeah, <laughs> pretty much. So communication, right? So there you yeah. go. And I guess the, like yeah, the final question to to end is like you you mentioned earlier on that when you started, the barrier to entry was quite low for the games industry. Do you think it's do you think it's still low or has it gotten harder to get into the games industry? I think it is harder. I think there are feels like there's just way more people wanting a job than there are jobs available. Mm. Like when I joined Sega, I, I mean I don't know how much I can say about sounding like I'm just trashing them, but like they <laughs> were hiring a lot of people because there was a high staff turnover and it was just they just needed bodies. Mm. Just needed people to just sit down and do that. Now I feel like that doesn't seem to happen. It used to be like you could go to like Sega or like EA. If you were like basically access to London or Guildford when I was starting out, like you could probably work at like Sega was that in uh, Chiswick. You had Square Enix was around Hammersmith, I think. You had, yeah, EA, Criterion and stuff like that. Lionhead out in Guildford. So they're like these certain hubs of like pretty big studios, which sometimes would just be looking for like a bunch of a bunch of like testers at least which for me was always like the that probably has the lowest requirements of any of the roles like you don't necessarily need any specific uh, degrees or experience generally normally it was just enough to be an avid game player with a good attention to detail and like good quality of like written english like so you could relay the bugs back to the team and so yeah sega when i joined i was like one of i think like maybe like as many as like 10 people who got hired at the same time and they would just do like these big waves. So like you had really good opportunities and now it seems like I'm seeing like companies just need one QA tester. 
like just one job so it's like same amount of people if not more people looking for like that job but now this is like one role that like loads of people are going for and i think it's just getting a bit more tricky to like really stand out like amidst all these other like cvs that are being sent out and all these applications mm. so yeah I think, I think it is getting a bit trickier because I, I even know for a fact that sega's the qa team that i was a part of all that work has been shifted over to like bulgaria now right. so that's not even I, can, I can't even tell people like oh get a job at sega like yeah. maybe be able to get to do one in like some of the sega studios that are in the uk so there's like uh sports interactive who do the football manager games i think they're in london yeah and then there's creative assembly who do um the total war series mm-hmm. and there's like sumo who did like i guess the sega racing games and stuff like that up in sheffield, sheffield. I yeah. Think Shepard, yeah. So like, you, there's still some, but like, there's not this sort of like Se- Sega Europe. Like the the central hub is no longer like a place where you can just jump in and be doing QA stuff anymore. Mm. So that's been a bit tricky. But I guess at the same time, now that living in this like post COVID, well, I say post COVID, like it's gone. It's still around, but <laughs> we're living in a way more remote friendly world now. And I think I still feel like there are fewer fewer positions, but I guess like geographical barriers aren't there anymore yes. which is the only sort of silver lining i guess like you could probably work at a company that's based in a, a different country uh, provided time zone difference isn't too much but like you can still like yeah get jobs and stuff like that uh remotely but yeah i, f- I feel like it's a bit trickier because there's like definitely a, a wave of people who i used to work with like at sega or had like their start out in some of these bigger companies and like the younger you are, the less likely that I'm going to be able to have that chat with you about you working at Sega because it just doesn't. That pipeline doesn't really exist anymore, sadly, which is a great shame. Met a lot of really good good people from Sega as well. A lot of people doing like really good stuff now through that pipeline. Yeah, it is. It's I mean, it's worth keeping in mind. But like you said, there is a silver lining of just looking in different places and having different a different kind of accessibility in terms of games, jobs that are available. So yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Well. There you go. So, uh, Mike, thank you for enlightening us on uh, what a producer does, what you do, uh, us do games. And uh, yeah, thank you for spending some time with us. Thanks for having me. It's been a pleasure. It's been fun. I haven't spoken to people who are not like my team members for so long. (laughs) Not to say I don't love them. I don't care about them. But like, it is nice to to speak to people. And just, yeah, having a catch up with you too. Because, yeah, obviously we haven't seen each other for ages. Probably would have been a physical meetup somewhere. Yeah pre-2020 if not early 2020 yeah definitely so that's kind of why we do the podcast as well it's it, it is all for us we keep saying this so we just like <laughs> invite people it's like oh we haven't spoken to that that guy in a while let's let's bring him on mm-hmm. oh he works in games yeah yeah then bring him on <laughs> yeah <laughs> so no we appreciate it and uh, if you enjoyed this episode of story x story then make sure that you subscribe so you can hear uh, all our past conversations with people we haven't spoke to in a couple years um you can also give us a rating uh, and review this helps us reach new listeners and fans of story discussions uh, some of our stories well all of our stories are on the my matter website mymatter.com forward slash manga including the new series through the fog if you are interested in gaming and i feel you are if you're listening to me at this point you can join our studio 77 discord and consider becoming a member for exclusive access to gamepad events and content from the Maya Matter universe. Uh, and definitely keep an eye out for the next stages of our Do I Look Like a Gamer video game representation campaign, which is live 
And we started this campaign so that future generations of talent will know that there is a place for them in video games. We want to empower them to be an active part of shaping the future of the games industry. Uh, so you can check out the photos of the 40 players and makers and keep an eye out for news on upcoming campaign events and how you can get involved at looklikeagamer.com. Uh, and stay tuned for more podcast episodes, including creator interviews, video game discussions like these, and deep dives into stories across pop culture. You can always give us a shout directly. Our email address is feedback at mymatter.com. And our website with links to subscribe is mymatter.com forward slash story x story. So until next time, stay safe. And remember, be like Mike. Unless someone asks you for your shirt, then don't be like Mike. Keep shirt on. <laughs> people so take care everyone stay hydrated and moisturized <laughs> yeah that too <laughs>